Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Good morning, City Collective, and thanks for being part of our church online gathering today. My name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective. And if this is your first time joining us, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not really sure about this whole Jesus thing, you are welcome. Now, that we find ourselves in March, uh, we're starting a new series on the parables of Jesus, looking in particular at the parables of grace. And this is something we do every year at City Collective, where we focus in on the words of Jesus leading us into Easter. I think you need to know that Jesus is a storyteller. And it's pretty clear that Jesus loves to tell stories. And he believes that stories are a powerful medium for comprehension, for revelation, and for understanding. His parables are categorized into a couple different areas, into grace, to judgment, into kingdom. And today we're gonna be launching into a parables of grace series by first looking at uh, lost sheep. So we're gonna be going to Luke chapter 15. And before we, before we read, here's the thing about grace. Uh, the word, especially within our church circle, I think is pretty common. And often what happens with what is common is, is a loss of depth. So it's a loss of appreciation or it's a loss of understanding. And we hear the word and it has a nice sound to it, but perhaps it doesn't impact us the way it should be. I remember growing up, uh, my parents, they had this community group at our church and, and my dad would lead the discussion. Before he would do that, all the kids would come and they would hang out for a bit before going downstairs. But every time that dad got the opportunity, there would be a song that we would sing together. It doesn't matter how old I got. And as Adriana could attest, I'm trying my best to further this to the next generation whenever I get with my nieces and nephew. It was something like this. With Jesus in the boat, I can smile in the storm, smile in the storm, smile in the storm. With Jesus in the boat, I can smile in the storm when I'm sailing home. And there were actions, and those actions replaced the words till you're miming the song and laughing at each other. And it's a grand old time. And sometimes if dad forgot the words, the kids would correct him and they would pipe in with a quick fix. And man, they would just laugh and they would love to do it. And it felt good. And they knew it inside out. And it was the most simplistic of statements, but it's kind of like grace where it sometimes feels good. And we want to talk about it. We want to laugh about it, but we didn't really comprehend what it was saying, what it meant, what it was talking about having Jesus in our boat, that if he's in my boat, I'm good. We're kids. We don't really get that at that time. But it's the same kind of thing with, with grace. A song can just be words in a song or it can spark our imagination of who God is. A word like grace can just be a word or it can form our imagination for what it truly means to trust in Jesus. And I think this is why these stories matter. We need an expansion of our imaginations for who God is. And instead of having God in our particular boxes, what would happen if our stories were truly impacted by his story? You, you might not even realize this, but there's a ton of stories that Jesus tells throughout his teaching. Klein Snodgrass, he outlines how central story was to Jesus's pedagogy, his, his method of teaching. He says, 
discourse we tolerate, but story we attend. Story it entertains, it informs, it involves, it motivates, it authenticates, and mirrors existence by creating a narrative world. In truth, our lives are a collection of stories, the ones we find ourselves in. And the ones that we watch and read and listen to, the ones that we invent and we create. And what's curious is, is how Jesus' life and ministry were shaped by these kind of same contours. His lived experience, the Hebrew scriptures and traditions that he learned about, and of course, the stories that he told. In, in our walk through Lent this year, we turn our attention to a particular set of tales that Jesus gives his followers. Parables of, of lost sheep, of debtors, of sons and trees that don't grow fruit. But in the end, we come back to the words of Jesus each year to understand the divine story and its connection to the meaning of, of our own. And I think we hope that whether we get the parables or not, my desire is that we begin to see them as first and foremost God's way of getting to us. So we're going to read. Let's open with a reading from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Fantastic. Well, thank you to the David family, Solly, Noah, Blessin, Rebecca, for how, how you doing segment. We love you guys. And to Hannes and Abby for leading us in that scripture reading this morning. Now, uh, there's a lot about this passage that I think is both fascinating and relatable. But first of all, you probably do not find sheep all that fascinating or relatable, um, unless you maybe had a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with sheep. Hey, you're different than myself. So maybe you don't find all that relatable. Maybe you do. But, but I think something we can all agree on is that loss is something we get. To lose something is in many ways just an accepted part of what it means to be human. And I'm not trying to be morbid right off the bat. Um, I, there are deeper and wider ideas that might pop into our minds about what it means around loss, but there are also more mundane day-to-day -day experiences. And here's the thing, uh, when you find something that has been lost, you feel good. You feel better before, uh, you feel better than before you lost it. And, and Jesus' point is when you lose something of value, you focus on what's lost to the neglect of what's unlost. This is what we do. Now, to all my techies out there, those of you who sit and watch MKBHD videos on YouTube to get kept to be up on all the latest tech, maybe you're like me and you get excited about the newest features coming on the next iOS or the cool piece of tech that's maybe meant to make an everyday function all that more convenient and comfortable and effective. And you think to yourself, man, if I have that, that is going to make my life so much better. I'm gonna be able to be so much more efficient and productive. I'm gonna get all these things done. It's gonna change the way I do things. It's gonna be so cool to be able to print this on a 3D printer or customize my, my home screen on my iPhone, I know. All you Android users have been doing it forever. I get it. But 
not too long ago, I guess it's been a little while now, Adriana and I got our Apple Watches and, and I remember thinking, I'm gonna be able to answer all my texts so much quicker. I can customize the face of the watch and you know what has been the most important feature on that phone? Well, let me show you. This right here. Let me hit it again. That, that glorious, sometimes embarrassing sound that tells me that my phone is not far away. What is lost can be found. And I remember just like doing it so often and kind of being embarrassed about it. But the thing is that when we hold something to be valuable, to be needed, to be desired, and it's lost, there's actually this incredible joy when we find it. Even if it is just our phone that's been sitting underneath a couch cushion or in my pocket when I hit the beeping sound. And if this is the case, in the midst of our mundane, and I had my phone slide under the couch, cushion or the couch, and I feel joy, can you see what Jesus is saying to all of us who are listening? He's saying you matter. He's saying you are of the highest value in your moments of being lost, I will pursue you. And I find it so beautiful that manner in which Jesus is communicating value. He's not communicating it from a place of winning. He's not saying when you win, I'm happy for you and I'm going to come for you. But he's talking about losing. When you're lost, I'm coming for you. And isn't that the opposite of what we see in our world today? That value is often found in, which where, in where there's a winner. I'm not advocating for participation trophies over here, but, but to, to lose is never what we're wanting to do in general. And so Jesus is kind of coming about it differently. You can find the parable of the, the lost sheep here in Luke, and you can find it in Matthew as well. But context is key, and at the beginning of these parables of grace, Jesus is really preoccupied with this idea that the work of the Messiah will not be accomplished by winning, but by losing. The first shall be last. Stop concerning yourself who's the greatest in the kingdom. These are the things that Jesus is conforced, forced to confront in the lead up to this parable. It's a completely different approach to place value on the lost. The passage opens up with tax collectors, sinners, Pharisees, and teachers. Uh, that, that's a lot of cultural baggage right off the bat, but sinners and government officials are being lumped together, something none of us ever do, right? But um, some of those tax collectors were probably corrupt, and they probably didn't have the greatest reputation, were probably known to be a little bit shady. And here they are being characterized based on their category, and we all do this, but there's a clearly an aggravated and divided group. Jesus then decides to tell a story. And he says, suppose you have a hundred sheep and you lose one of them. Doesn't the shepherd leave the, the 99 and go after the, the one, the lost sheep, until he finds it? So picture the scene here. Jesus is sitting and eating with what would be characterized as some undesirables and some religious leaders that come and sit in the back and they're mumbling under their breath and Jesus is like, I'm going to tell them a story. And it's probably a story that he's repeated multiple times. You see it in a little bit of a different place in Matthew, but that's, that's fine because if you've ever heard a good story from someone, it's more than likely that you'll hear it from them again. I know I do it, but this story is powerful because it expands beyond this one context. This story about who we leave on the outside and who God welcomes back in is for the religious outcast. It's for the cultural outcast. It's for anybody and everybody that has ever felt lost. 
And what this means is that however you hear the story today and however it opens your heart, whoever it opens your heart to, that is exactly who it is meant to go towards. The last, the lost, the least, the little. Whoever that looks like in your world, that is who this story is about. Now as Christians, we like the idea of sheep. Um, sheep of God's pasture, uh, a kid's song about wanting to be a sheep, blah, 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 blah. But culturally, a sheep really doesn't have a mind of its own. You don't want to be a sheep in that sense it, it, because it does what it's told, except in this story. The sheep is a rebel sheep, shades, leather jacket, cigarette. It kind of goes out on his own, does his own thing. But let's pause for a moment because while it may or may not be true that shepherds in Jesus' day had that kind of devotion to individual members of their flocks, this parable can hardly be interpreted as a helpful hint for running a successful sheep ranching business. Let's be honest. The most likely result of going off in pursuit of one lost lonely sheep will only be 99 more lost sheep. He implies that even if all 100 sheep should get lost, it will not be a problem for this bizarrely good shepherd because he is first and foremost in the business of finding the lost. And I, here, I love this. That in the imagination of God, in the purpose of God, in the kingdom of God, Jesus desires a world with a hundred out of every hundred souls found. And this heart of God, I think, is, is easy to agree with in concept. But, but remember, Jesus is talking to the teachers of the law. Those who would want to exclude certain people. And it's almost like he's giving them a, a reason to do it. He kind of like, he goes out of his way to explain them that you don't have even a, a pen to really put them in. Um, he doesn't talk about a hired hand to keep them safe. You just leave them there out in the open field to go off chasing after one stray sheep. You probably wouldn't do that. It kind of sounds like bad shepherding 101. This guy's going to be out of business next week. But if you step back, it's almost like Jesus is giving his critics every opportunity to justify their bad choices. The shepherd is foolish, and yet Jesus says, this is what God is like. This is part of what is so buried beautifully in the parable. Jesus is not trying to make grace sensible. Jesus is trying to say that God is not like us. Whether it's at, uh, the little children at Jesus' feet in Matthew or outcasts at the table in Luke. This parable is about the ambitious absurdity of grace. Grace points you in a direction you would never otherwise go. Maybe it's easier to think about it this way. Uh, we have all discarded someone at some point in our lives, right? Maybe they wandered away from us and we let them go. Or maybe they made a mistake and so we moved on with our lives. They, they went right and we turned left. We never looked back. And, and I think every one of us has then also been on the other side of that equation. Where, where we felt abandoned. We, we felt ignored. We got lost somewhere along the line and it felt like no one came looking for us. And what happened is we kind of justified it. We rationalized it, we made economic sense of it, and we said to ourselves, well, really, they, they made the best decision. I mean, you can't leave 99 out in the open all day long and go search for one. That, that really doesn't make perfect sense. 
But yet, I think we have all had that moment somewhere where we wished it was different. We wish it hadn't let that, we wish we hadn't let that relationship walk away even though we knew there was nothing we could have done to save it. Or, or we wish that someone had come looking for us even though we were the ones who walked away and we weren't really ready to come home yet. We wished that love was less rational because here's the thing, every single one of us aspires towards grace somewhere inside of us, but it's foolish. And that's the point of the story. Jesus looks us dead in the face and he says, I get it. It can be tough to live with people who are different than you. And you can't always take children seriously. And loving people without expectation sometimes seems impossible. But suppose, suppose that you were the kind of person that would drop everything to chase after that one sheep at any expense, no matter what. Suppose you were like God. Wouldn't that be incredible? And here's the thing, we so often put ourselves in the category of the 99 that we forget that every day we are in need of being found again. And every day we are being pursued, but to be found is not to simply stay forever corralled up and comfortable, but to tap into the Jesus image, this absurd image of divine grace gently calling us to love in ways that don't make sense in this world. See, this parable is not about our world being slightly modified. This is a fairy tale in the best possible sense. One that invites us to imagine who we could be in a new world completely transformed by grace. Let me, let me push it one step farther about what it means to be lost. Here's the thing. No matter what you do when we look at this passage, no matter what you do with lostness, the rest of the parable is about one thing and one thing only, and that is joy. Joy, which is the root and the fruit of the shepherd's will to search and find the sheep. But, but my question is, why such jubilation from the shepherd when he returns with the sheep? He's not just content with the good day's work. He's rejoicing, it says. He's got that sheep on his shoulders. He's got a party in mind. And Jesus, he sums all of that up and he says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Thank you, Jesus, that all of us are in need of repentance. Therefore, all of us are destined to be celebrating when we come to him. So why, why rejoice? Why? Well, I want you to consider this. A lost sheep is for all practical purposes a dead sheep. And even if the sheep survives on their own, like this story recently from Australia, this sheep named Barack that had fleece weighing over 35 kilos after being lost for years. Barack couldn't see. He was underfed and there was no quality of life because that's the picture of our own lives being lost. Sure, we can survive, but Jesus didn't just come so we can have an afterlife. He wants you to experience the fullness of life right here, right now. A lost sheep is for all practical purposes a dead sheep. These are not stories designed to convince us that if we wind ourselves up to some acceptable level of moral and spiritual improvement, then God will forgive us. No, the, the, these parables are about God's determination. Hear me, God's determination to move before we do. And grace has made our lostness the only ticket we need to the table of God. It's the lost who get to go to the party. It's the loss that the, the festivities are for. 
More than that, in none of these parables is anything except the will of God portrayed as necessary to a new life in joy. And it's not our lostness or our deadness or our repentance in itself being redemptive. God is our redemption. God gives life and he gives it freely and fully no, with no condition whatsoever. These stories are parables of grace and grace only. And this is why it's so controversial, so opposite of what we think. There is not in them, not a single note of earning or merit, not one breath about rewarding the rewardable, about correcting the correctable, or improving the improvable. These parables, these stories, there is only the gracious, saving determination of the shepherd, of the woman, of the king and the father, the stories that we'll, we'll be diving into, all these surrogates for God, showing that the grace that comes from God is more than enough. It's not the admission of a mistake, which thank God that we have finally recognized and corrected. Rather, it's the recognition that we are dead in our sins, that we have no power of ourselves either to save ourselves or convince anyone else that we are worth saving, but it is the recognition that our whole life is finally and forever out of our hands and that if we ever live again, our life will be entirely the gift of some gracious other, of, of God himself. When God forgives, he does not say that he pities our weakness or he makes allowances for our errors, but he disposes of, he finishes with the whole of our dead life and he raises us up with a new one. This is the story that Jesus is telling. Robert Capone, he says that Jesus forgets our sins in the darkness of the tomb. He remembers our iniquities no more in the oblivion of Jesus' expiration. He finds us, in short, in the desert of death, not in the garden of improvement, and in the power of Jesus' resurrection. He puts us on his shoulders, rejoicing, and brings us home. If you have ever felt lost, or as you have been forgotten and left as such, Know this, know that you are pursued. If you've ever felt abandoned and unloved, know that love is chasing after you. If you've ever felt disqualified and past the point of forgiveness, know that Jesus wants to say to you this morning, your sins are forgiven, rise up. There is nothing like Jesus in this world the absurdity, ambitious, transformational power of grace is demonstrated to those teachers of the law, not just as a nice idea, but who God is and what we are invited to embrace. Resurrection doesn't come without death. And perhaps for some of us today, in our own pride, in our own self-obsession, in our constant return to inward competence, I think we need a wake-up call that the new life I claim to desire comes only when I am recognizing where I have come from, being lost. That I was dead in my sin, lost in my sin, and now I am found and born again by the Spirit of God. So whoever and wherever you are today, know that love is looking for you. And that even when you try to make sense of it all, God is always there calling and inspiring you towards the absurd, scandalous beauty of grace. This is our hope to hold on to. So as we pray, I want you to take a moment and if you feel lost, abandoned, forgotten, would you just declare these words with me? Would you say, Jesus? Thank you for your absurd love for me. Thank you for coming after me.
I feel lost and I need you. I receive your grace and joy this morning. These aren't magic words, but they are a turning of our hearts towards the love that is always pursuing us. So let me close in a word of prayer this this morning. Father, thank you for the absurdity of grace. Thank you for stories that are meant to expand our imagination beyond what we are so used to and, and what we can only comprehend on our own. I pray right now that there would be an expansion in the minds of those who are listening and watching in our homes about who you are, how that leads us forward, and how that can shape us in our own stories. Help us to see your grace for what it is, this absurd, foolish gift that is meant to transform us and the world around us. I pray for those who are feeling a sense of being lost this morning, those who have felt abandoned, that right here, right now, that they would sense your adoption in the abandonment that they are in, that in the lostness they would sense your life, that in the the despair that they were in, that the death they were in, that there was just so much hope that you pour inside of their story, that they would sense a revelation, start to percolate inside of them that would transform them and the world around them. Thank you for the power of your grace, the power of the life that you desire us to have. And I pray right now that we would just come to know you more in this season, that we would look to you, that we would open our hearts, even as we feel maybe a lost, abandoned, alone, that we'd open our hearts to the possibility, what if God was really pursuing me? What if love was really always after me? And what if I were to open up myself to receive that gift today? Shape us, transform us. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your son, Jesus, and how we find life when we place our trust in him. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.